Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and welcome to the Italian Wine Club. For everyone out there, this episode will be replayed on Italian Wine Podcast as usual. Our usual slot is half past five now, I think. Alrighty, so you guys know what the deal is, right? It's called the Ambassador's Corner, and we've been doing for a couple of years now. We started it during the pandemic. And it's, you know, in the beginning, I was a bit hesitant to do this for like an hour because I'm like, who the hell is going to listen to geeky stuff for an hour? But turns out that it is actually one of the most popular shows. And the reason being, I think, is that all of the wine geeks, Italian wine geeks, gravitate to this series, The Ambassador's Corner. And of course, thanks to our Italian wine ambassadors at large. And today, our host for today, who will be hosting this room, is Matt Irwin. Ciao, Matt. Ciao, Stevie. Hello. Very excited. Still awake? Are you still awake? still here. Yep, still here. (laughs) Matt, why don't you tell you a little bit about yourself? Um, Well, I'm currently in Sydney, Australia. I work for WSET, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, uh, as a business development for Australia and New Zealand. But before that, I was importing uh, Italian wine for over 14 years in both Canada and Australia. Uh, I have an absolute love for Italian wine. Um, I have ever since uh, I was travelling through Italy as a tour manager there in my younger days. And uh, just their passion and their energy and their stunning wines uh, made me just fall in love and chase a career in it. And I've been lucky enough to be able to to work in Italian wines for, well, uh, quite a while now. Now, of course, Matt Irwin is our new Italian wine ambassador. He, he had been anointed in April this year, 2023, spanking new Italian wine ambassador. I'm not sure you traded up going from importing business to WSET, but... It is what it is. <laughs> okay. So tell us why, Matt, you've chosen Berry Winery, Lucas Berry, as your interviewee today. Well, Luca, first of all, is a friend of mine that I've gotten to know. Over Luca the past has friends. Years. Yeah. Uh, I can't yeah, believe I it. Myself as one of them, uh, luckily. <laughs> uh, but himself and his family are one of the most wonderful families I've had the pleasure of getting to know. There's over seven generations that have worked in the Sperry family, in the winery, and they hold on to tradition, but they still, they understand the modern changing world. They're a leader in the wine community and they use their influence uh, to better the region, uh, the region's wines and the environment as well. Uh, They're always handing down heritage uh, in their land and in their passion and the grapes that they grow. And I just couldn't think of a a more um, passionate family to bring on to this podcast. I mean, there are quite a few of them, the Sperrys, but you know what I love about the Sperrys is they're modest, but also they all get on as a family, which is kind of a rarity nowadays in this uh, wine world, especially in Verona. So I love that. I haven't seen Luca in a while. He's all grown up now. Look at look at that. He's like kind of has a mustache and everything. So I'm looking forward to your chat Listen, Matt. To all of us. Yeah, I know. I know. It did happen, especially during the pandemic. So, you know what the deal is. What are the learning objectives that we should expect from you for all the geeks out there? 
Well, you know I love a learning objective, and tonight we're going to be talking uh, to understand the history of the region of Valpolicella better and what it was like growing up in one of the world's great wine regions, according to Luca. I also want to learn how Sperry Wines utilises its traditional methods uh, of the Apassamento and the traditions of the region to maintain the identity of Valpolicella wines, but they are understanding that the world is changing and how they use this knowledge to continue to improve the quality of the wines and their region. Okay. And finally, I want to better understand the threats and opportunities facing Valpolicella region and their and very wise. Yeah, I would like to have his opinion on that as well. I'm, I'm very curious. So, already, so I will pass over the mic on to you now, and I will mute my mic. As you know, that rarely happens. You best take full advantage of the situation. And then, you know, I'll come back to see if there are any questions from the audience or from Micah or anybody else at the office. Okay? Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, see you soon. Bye. All right. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Luca Sperry, co-owner and sales manager for Sperry Wineries in the Valpolicella region. Luca, together with his sisters, Chiara and Laura, and his cousins, Alberto, Giampaolo, Giampietro, represent the sixth generation of Sperry wines. Beside them is also Giuseppe, who's Alberto's son, that brings in the seventh generation. Luca's the youngest member of the, his generation, yes, topping out at 43 years old, but has already has a massive amount of experience. He started working full-time in the winery since 2002 and has been involved in every activity within the entire business. He was mentored by his father and his cousins in the production of the wines and in the sales and marketing. He's involved in uh, mainly the sales and exports the wines to over 60 countries, including the US, Canada, Australia, Japan, Switzerland, and many others. Besides being a part of the family winery, Luca is also a founding member of the member of the board of the Familia Storiche, and I'll have to ask him to pronounce that properly for me. It's an association of Amarone families who are the top wineries producing Amarone. Plus, he's also the past president and still the director, one of the directors on the board of Antica Bottega del Vino in Verona, one of my favorite places to visit in the world, one of the most historical restaurants in Verona with one of the greatest wine lists you can imagine if you are an Italian wine lover. Ciao, Luca. Ciao, Matteo. Come stai? How are you? Bene. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on this podcast with me and thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to talk about uh, your wine. So I'm very excited. It's a pleasure, Matt, to be in this thing with you, Stevie. Like, uh, I mean, you know that this thing for me, it's very important. You guys are gold for us, you know, you are gold for the Italian wine. So anytime you need the support from us, it's it's there. And we appreciate that so much. First of all, I want to start off and ask you to tell us about the history of um, your family and your winery going back seven generations. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the story, it's, uh, it's very long. I mean, we are one of the, the oldest wineries here. The, the first bottles, the first documents date back to 1870s, I would say. And, uh, the, you know, the, the family was... Uh, was there the family was there making everything from the real beginning uh we still are there the fact that spirit after seven generation it's still uh, in the business as a family with no changing is quite is quite unique in the wine business now it's something very important to us it's something fundamental and it's something fundamental to keep it as a family business so that's that's the story you know we, we passed through a lot of different periods, but I think that our most important thing is that we remain who we are. Absolutely. And you, you maintain your family's history as well. Do you find nowadays uh, it must be very different to when, you know, time's gone past, even just from when you were growing up? Yeah, things have changed. Things have grown up in, uh, in many years. It changes quite a lot, you know. I, I still remember my dad and my uncles remember me that back in the days, the big part of the business was made by uh, damagents, you know, the big volumes uh, they, they were used to. When they were like uh, 15, 20 years old, they were moving the wines with this 
large pound, 54 liters. And that was the 95% of the business, but not for us, for the region, for, for the Italian wine business. Everything has changed a lot. And uh, to me, it was a, was a great fortune, I would say, to grow up in this, in this family and in this way, because uh, you, you've been to our winery. Basically, there is a, the four apartments of my dad and my three uncles are exactly the floor above the winery. You know, so all of us, me, my cousins, uncles, aunts, you know, we, we were everybody uh, close together, like in the movies, you know, the big Italian families that they stay all together, that they work all the time, they have fun all the time, they have this big dinner. So this was the way we grew up. You know, every time I was going downstairs, there was somebody of my cousin ready to play calcio, to play football, or ready to to ask me a favor, you know, Luca, can you do this? Can you do that? So, and it was the first way to, to start working somehow or to put my hands in this beautiful business that is the winemaking. Did you ever consider not working in the family winery or was that just the path that, you know, uh, was always in front of you? I never thought about anything different than this. You know, I... But this is not because it was imposed by somebody. This is just for, you know, for my mind was clear from the real beginning. You know, I, I, when, I, when I was like eight to 10 years, I was downstairs where we have the little shop. At that time, it was a very little wine shop of the, of the winery. I was there. My dad was selling the wine and I was selling like cherries and apples and everything was around our our vineyards, I were picking up and selling myself. So I was living there in summertime trying to sell something that was coming from from me somehow. So, you know, the, the thing of agriculture, nature, life, selling in, in a family kind of contest was mine. So I never, I never had anything different in my mind. And nowadays, instead of selling single bottles out of the family winery, uh, you're selling to over 60 countries around the world. That must be a very different job to what it's what you first started out doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean my, my dad, I mean, the generation of my dad actually did, uh, did the big change, man. But all over the wine business was like that in Italy. You know, they started to sell the first bottles to export. We can say that at that time was Switzerland in the 60s. In US, we started in the beginning of the of the 70s, but that was just a, a, a little part. It was not considered like big part of the job. That was just an opportunity. Uh, some of them, like my dad and a few others, understood the possibilities to, you know, to work on that and to open that market better. Others, not. Even the ninety percent of the market was still here in the domestic market when domestic was uh, north of Italy, not not Italy, it was north of Italy. So there was a little, you know, very slow beginning. But as ever, as everybody knows, everything that starts slow then can accelerate quite fast. And now <laughs> every day there is a new thing happening. When was it that uh, you know the world started to really appreciate uh, the wines of Valpolicella? I think that this is a very nice question because I, uh, I was reading articles that my dad has, you know, all that, that big book where he kept all the uh, newspaper and things that, that back on his time from the 60s and after. And I think that the big, the, the big changing for our appellation in terms of Amarone happens in the middle of the 80s. That was the moment in which Amarone was put from, you know, the medias, but for from the consumers too, in in that, you know, three great Italian wines. I mean, talking about red wines like Barolo, Brunello, Amarone started to be part of that three in that period when uh, people like uh, Luigi Veronelli start to talk about and to write about that. Uh, and when people were starting to appreciate that style that was quite unique and would start existing. Besides the fact that people were talking about that, it's also true that also the production methods in that year changed quite a lot from the past. You know, in that period, you started to have quite a, a larger production of quality wines. Before, it was very small, was very little. We were just very few producers making correct wines, also because these wines come from a quite 
difficult operation in terms of winemaking, you know. Yeah. And the changes in technology have also brought changes in style to the wines as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as you know, Amarone is a wine that has a quite a complex method of production uh, that is wine process. So uh, imagine back in the days with no chance of controlling uh, the temperature, the for, for, I'm, I'm talking about the uh, fermentation moments, you know, not not for the drying process, but for the fermentation moments that happens in January, February when outside is cold, the grapes comes in the cellar that is like uh, two centigrade temperature, so very low. Controlling the yeast to work at that low temperature with no techniques in order to rise the temperature at a certain level in order to make the yeast work. So at that time, there were like 80% of the Amarones were like off with some problem of oxidation, with a lot of problems of volatile acidity because the fermentation was stopping and restarting, stopping and restarting. And I, I still remember my, my, my father showed me where, where they were fermenting the Amarone and it was actually barrels at the highest floor of the house of four different floors. They were putting the wine there because that was the warmer place. And that was in the 60s. Come on. So uh, now we have a technology. And beside the technology, we have also the... It's, it's important to say and to know that, but we also have the money to spend in technology. It's not just a matter of having money. It's a, it's a matter that at that time, the generation before mine was smart to invest in that because it's all about investment, you know? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I think that that was the moment in which uh, the large part of the Amarone were, was technically correct, was better wines with a, with a good idea, with a good story that Amarone has by nature, uh, but also the, the percentage of the good Amarone in the market was higher than the, the lowest quality. Well, speaking about your wines, why don't you tell us about the wines that Sperry produce and um, their style and the, the personality of those wines? So the, the fact that it's a very simple kind of winery, I would say, you know, you, you already t- told that we are a family, that it's generations. Uh, if somebody comes at the winery, uh, we'll see a Sperry member or for sure more Sperry members running here and there. So but nowadays we are nine members of the family working here and, and we are proud to to follow every single step of the production. You know, we are here from ever uh, when Valpolicella was nothing and we are here now when Valpolicella is uh, is considered a prestigious, we can say, uh, wine region. So um, the, the, the way we make our job is the most simple ways possible. So, you know, when I present my winery, I do it because my job is to go around and present the wines and the winery. And I, I use this word, simple, pure. You know, this is what we want to be. So the production is the most simple production you can find in the region. Very um, clear portfolio, just by wines, only reds, only DOC and DOCGs. So one Valpolicella that a lot of people call kind of uh, entry level. I hate that name. I call it the Me first too. expression of Valpolicella. I love it like that. So it's the first expression of Valpolicella, like the Valpolicella Classico. Then we have Ripasso. Then we have uh, Valpolicella Superiore, one Amarone and one Rechotto. That's it. Five wines, only reds, very clear uh, and pure identity. The choice is to work with what we have. So also here, another very simple uh, way of thinking. So we do not buy grape, we do not buy wine. Everything comes from our own vineyards that, thank God, generation before bought it in the right moments. <laughs> so they had the chance to buy vineyard in, in good position and for the, for the right price, I would say. Uh, so yes, I mean, the, 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 the philosophy in our wines is clearly very... Uh, pure, so only native varietals. You know, we do not use any international grape. Even is allowed by by the the appellation laws. But the choice is, you know, I, I always say that we sell wines in which on the label there is written Valpolicella, that is the region in which we live. So when we release a wine, when we release a label, we are not just selling liquid 
we are not just selling wine. We are selling the region. So we want that that wine really tastes of our region, you know. Uh, so from that is the concept of making few things well-made, very pure, very clear, very simple. Uh, I've learned working with uh, importers and distributors that sometimes the choice of being simple and pure is it's more brave than, be, than, than not being that. But it's, uh, in the long term, it's, it's the best choice we can ever make. Absolutely, because classics will always last the test of time and your wines with its purity and clarity will always um, showcase both the quality of the region and your vineyard sites as well. You have some of the great vineyard, um, vineyards in Valpolicella, in La Rovarina, Santa Bano, eh, La Roggia yeah. as yeah. well. Uh, and each one of those have, have its own personality. Could you describe the differences between those three vineyard sites? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, Valpolicella is, uh, is a very nice region, but it's, you can find so many different in so very small area, we can say. You can go from altitude that goes from 70 meters above the sea level up to 800 meters above the sea level. You have uh, slopes that faces east or west. Uh, you have soils that can go from alluvial and sandy and also there is some volcanic origin. So you have a, a lot of different kind of soil and exposure and we can say microclimate there. So, you know, um, we are, you said that we have some great vintage, but the, and, and it's true. I mean, Santurbano is for sure one of the greatest single vineyards of the area, but we are very lucky. Uh, we we are very lucky or smart. I don't know which of the two, but you have to know that Santurbano was bought by my family in 1930s. Uh, but my grandfather, after World War II, tried to sell that vineyard. Tried to sell that vineyard because it was too hard and difficult to work because it's on the slope. Everything is on terraces. Imagine back then how expensive it was to work there. And Especially in that moment, uh, the price of the wine was basically like milk or, or gas that goes by liter, you know, with one euro per liter. That's it. Can, can come from the hillside, the bottom of the, uh, of the flat, and everything is red is one, white is 0 0.5. That was at the moment. So basically, my grandfather was losing money because uh, harvesting and growing grapes and vines on the slopes with terraces was very tough and difficult. Uh, he was the, the vineyard was on sale for five years. Uh, thank God nobody bought it. <laughs> we were very lucky about that. Nobody bought that vineyard. Uh, and at a certain point, my dad noticed that he had like four sons that were all four in the right age for working. So basically, he had four employees for free. So he said, "Okay, nobody wants the vineyard. I keep it. You guys work." <laughs> and we kept it and now became by magic one of the greatest parts you know um, Santurbano the uniqueness of the Santurbano is that it's on the top of the hill of the central of the two central hill of Valpolicella Classica uh, Speri owns only vineyard in the classical region but this vineyard in particular is on the top uh, of the hill that divides the two central valley the valley of Negra, uh, the valley of Fumane from the valley of Marano and it's exactly the top of the hill. So uh, the microclimate there, it, it's phenomenal. You're on top of the hill without being too high because the highest part goes on 400 meters. Uh, so being on top, you have all the breeze, air, wind that keeps everything very healthy. Vines that can live longer. And you all know how it's important to have long life vines for quality. And beside that, we also have a very unique name for Valpolicella Classica that is the volcanic origin soil that provide us a very nice kind of freshness, mineral notes. Uh, I, when I drink wines that come from there, like our Valpolicella and Amarone, I always feel that kind of graphite notes that drive me immediately there. And, and especially for wines that has a quite a lot of structure and energy like, uh, like Amarone, that fresh part to me is, is fundamental, is, is life. It gives to the wine a completely different uh, approach in terms of richness with balance, with elegance. So 
this is the reason why uh, you know the generation before mine decided to make a marone in that vineyard because there we have what we need for making this wine so to to match the richness coming from the drying process that is a technique so it's not a matter of where you are doing but the technique that gives you that richness that density that structure need to be compensated and this is the mind of the winemaker, the mind of the the, the mind of the, the family that made the wine. In our case, we love that kind of compensation given by the minerality and the freshness and the cooler climate that we have there. So the choice of using that vineyard is following the nature of the vineyard, but in order to make the wine that we have in our mind. And the same of happens in uh, in La Roja, where is the is Rechoto is made. Uh, La Roja is a very tiny little vineyard that stayed a little bit lower, actually, because it stays at 200 and something meters above the sea level. Uh, it's in a different village. It's in the village of San Pietro in Carano, but it's on the hill of a little village called Casterrotto. And there is where we have the oldest vines of the family. There we have vines that are even older than, than, than 50 years old. So average, I'm talking. So... Uh, you know, our old members of the family, they always say that to make a good ricotta, you need an old vine. Uh, everybody knows that, but many people don't know the reason why. You know, for, to make a, a great wine in general, you need always to have a backbone of the acidity. And the old vines can give you the ripeness, the richness, the intensity, but keeping the acidity very strong and present. And in a wine like Rechotto, that you know, it's a sweet wine, uh, the risk of having that jammy, sticky kind of wine is always there. So having that old vines to us was uh, was phenomenal. You know, it's only two hectares, 2.5 hectares, but the production of Rechotto needs to be small. It's a jewel. Uh, Rechotto, sorry. Rechotto needs to be the jewel of the wine. So mm. this is the reason why we... Uh, we also worked with Ricciotto from there. You mentioned also La Roverina. La Roverina is, is a very nice vineyard, but it's a, it's a vineyard that never that can never gives you the complexity of Santurbano. It comes from a, alluvial soil. It, alluvial soil is a little bit more generous in quantity, but is what we need in order to make a very nice Valpolicella. You know, Valpolicella uh, is not a wine that looks for complexity, richness, intensity. With Valpolicella, we look on, on the purity of the fruit, you know. We look on the very pure and fresh and crispy, crunchy fruit, uh, wines that works with the everyday food. So here, it's important to, you know, in our vision of winemaking, uh, to divide every single vineyard in order of the final result. And Amarone, it's in Santurbano, yes, of course. We do not make any entry level Amarone. We don't make an Amarone from other vineyards that are lower in altitude because, in our opinion, it doesn't make any sense. Amarone needs to be the best. In that way, we try to make a very nice Amarone only there, so it's a single vineyard. But also, and this is something that consumer doesn't understand because it goes deep in the appellation rules, we make a Valpolicella that stays on top because it is not made by leftovers. If I, I make it very quickly, uh, if I make an Amarone entry level, I need to go in all our vineyards that I have in every, in every region of Valpolicella and take the best grape in order to make my best wine. The result will be, okay, for sure, a nice Amarone. But on the other side, I need to make the Valpolicella with the leftovers after the harvest of the Amarone. In that way, I, I probably have Amarone, uh, Amarone that it works but Valpolicella that is a little bit lower the real potential of the vineyard. So the choice is, okay, Amarone is there. The other vineyards are for Valpolicella. So I will, I'll make a Valpolicella from 100% of the grape that are in that vineyard, trying to rise the quality also there. So again, if you think about that, it's a very simple approach, very simple idea. Of course, it goes a little bit versus the market and the and the opportunity that the market asks, but in terms of showing the potential of our wines, covering all the appellation we have in the region, I think is a, is a very serious and consistent way of working. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I love that Sperry Wines has got these three amazing vineyard sites and you're, you're using the grapes from each individual site in its best expression. And all of your wines always show where it comes from. There's a lot of uh, opportunity there, especially with the Apasamento process, to make quite jammy and rich uh, and sticky wines. But with Sperry wines, you can always see the grapes behind them. You can see the place that they come from. You talk about um, the characteristics of those vineyards, and they are still shown really well even after all of that winemaking takes place. And that shows a deft touch in terms of winemaking, but also appreciating the exact place that they come from and how best to express that place in the style of wine that you do. Um, it's a very special thing. So very lucky that your uh, great-grandfather did not um, sell Santa Bano. Uh, very fortuitous for everybody involved, that's for sure. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at pointwine.net. You know, we started to move the first steps with the organic uh, thing in 2004. So uh, if you remember at that time, Organic was a very new thing in terms of approach. There were few wines in the market and many of them were not technically correct. So, but we looked, we looked inside the thing. We, my cousin, especially my cousin Alberto, the dialogist winemaker, he studied very deeply the thing and he saw that we were not that far, you know, not, not that far from that organic way of working. I remember you that, you know, we are a lot in the family, a lot, a lot of people of the family working here. Uh, we basically all work in the vineyards too. Uh, we all leave our house in the middle of the vineyard. So we breed that here. So the, the, the thing of, okay, let's see what is organic was very interesting for us because we love to live well. We love to breathe good air. We, we want, and the most important thing, we want that the vines lives well for now, for us, but for the next 10 generations. You know, the, the, the thing of making organic is uh, the idea of making good things and then the, the soil, the terroir, the vines, the trees gives you back something. So I think, but we noticed that treating the vines in the organic way, uh, the vines are stronger and and I think that for a winery that is at the seventh generation now, uh, it's important to pass these vineyards in the best condition to the next 10 generations. So to us, it was not uh, a choice of brand, it was not a choice of writing, uh, to put a, a, a print in the back on the label with the grain stuff. You know, 2004 was not the time. 2004 was just the beginning. So we started, and honestly speaking, was a very tough um, choice because uh, at that time, there was not an industry working for the organic, especially working for the organic. When you talk about Corvina, Rondinella, Molinara, so great that nobody else has in the world. Uh, nobody was working for organic when you have training systems that are pergola in Valpolicella. So, um, because... Yes, organic is nice, but don't think only about organic uh, with a picture of the old man, you know, with a little tool in the vineyard and uh, with a donkey taking all the <laughs> things. So we, when you think about organic on 60 hectares, uh, you need to have an industry that works for you too, you know, that gives you tools, that gives you uh, tractors and and things that you can use to work in the organic way the vineyard. So it was great for us because we, we've learned so many things and we, we projected with the, our suppliers, for instance, that we, 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 we produced together some tools for, for instance, for uh, pruning or for um, cutting the, the grass in the end of the vine. So not using any pesticide, not using anything like that, but just using physical approach. But to use physical approach in machineries and we studied and we did together with these guys some new machineries that were applied to the pergola 
and to the Corvina <laughs> that nobody did it before because the, the few organic that was in the region was everything applied on two or three hectares maximum. So uh, that w- was a choice that was uh, driven by our way of being agriculture, uh, of the respect we have of the soil, but also was made for ourselves. For many years, we didn't put the organic thing on the label because it was something that we don't want to put too loud, honestly, because we love that our wines are sold because they are good and because they are and because they're respecting the the classic way of thinking in Valpolicella. But we, we, we've been forced to put the, the logo in the back label for many reasons, you know, for uh, the fact that now everybody is talking about sustainability and green, and there is also always a reason to talk about that. So our our decision was, okay, we don't talk about that, but we put it on the label <laughs> because, because thank God we have the certification. That that is in, in, in very short our uh, our trip in the organic in the organic thing. Yeah, but you ha- you haven't stopped there either. You're working, or you currently have a sustainability certification. I've heard this a couple of times with a few mm-hmm. um, Italian producers, and it's a, yeah. a, a wonderful way to encompass uh, an entire um, ethos around the way the business is run, the grapes mm-hmm. are grown, the winery um, it operates. Can you explain um, why you wanted to do sustainability certification sure. as well? Sure, sure. So sustainability, first of all, it's uh, is an overused is an overused word in my opinion, but it's important that people think about that anyway. So the sustainability in terms of, of a winery, in terms of in general of a company, it works on three different uh, levels we can say, and this is by law. I mean, as you said, it's a certification. So there is a third party that that comes and see. It's like the organic, you know, it's your choice to do it, but then you have a certification. So. There is somebody that comes and see if you do things, they make analysis to do wine and stuff like that. So the same is with the uh, sustainability. So I mentioned it works on three different uh, main concepts. So there is a three different kind of sustainability, we can say. There is the economical sustainability. So uh, in few words, is the company, the winery in this case, uh, is a winery that needs to make economy. So needs to be... Um, needs to stay alive, needs to produce wealthiness uh, for itself, for the employees and for the suppliers. So it's a, it's a kind of choice that makes everybody stays better, but not only yourself as the owner or the employees as an employee, but also the community, you know, the, the village in which you are in, in considering work in, in a larger way the Valpolicella as a region, uh, all these things are not just made by myself or by my cousin or by the wine. The good thing of the sustainable certification is that it's a thing that goes year by year. So you put your goal, for instance, okay, let, let's say we need to have uh, the, the employees that need to stay better. Okay, this year we put the goal of making a new changing room, a new room for dining, uh, let's say we want to have them uh, in a tour in the end of the year where we learn something around. So well, let's go to Bordeaux all together. So these are goals that you put in your uh, in your files and you need to respect that goal in, if you want to have the sustainable certification. Okay. So I love this thing of the sustainable certification because uh, basically force the company to have kind of goals, you know, and forced to reach the goals. So that the economy was the first part, but then the other two levels are the social sustainability. So social sustainability means the, uh, there is following and considering and create the freedom, the dignity, and the everything happens with the work and with the job of somebody. So, for instance, a lot of everybody now is talking about the genders, you know, women that work in the business, stuff like that. So the uh, the salary women or men, this, is, for instance, is one of the uh, of the goals that we can put on that. So social sustainability means makes people uh, live better, think better, having more attention in that way. And that the, the third the third part is the 
environmental sustainability that to us was very basically was already there because being organic uh, you know the env- environmental sustainability means uh, uh, basically keep the ecosystem you know try to make all you can in order to be a better uh, or the best possible grower so keeping the ecosystem the soil the land the water the co2 the footprint you know the carbon footprint the water footprint so everything is for the planet and for the future and in this area in these three areas your choice is to be a better producer a better company a better winery are huge i mean the option you can take are great you know in the last years we did a lot of solar energy a lot of you know reuse of the water use of the waste of the cellar you know all these things helps to be better you know and we were doing it we were doing before but now with the certification we have a program you know and that's a and to have that program and that um that plan for the future you've Sperry is always led by example, and you're doing that again by um, improving things not just for your winery and your wines, but for the people that work for you and the community and the region. Um, so it's really wonderful, and I hope this sustainability certification takes on is taken on by a large part of uh, of uh, many regions around the world, not just uh, not just in oh, yeah. Italy. That's for sure. What do you see as some of the the greatest opportunities, or and and especially what are some of the biggest threats to uh, to Valpolicella that you see in the future? If you can look into your crystal ball, I think that we are one of the luckiest wine region in the world because with the same blend of grapes. I mean, you guys know the blend Corvina, Rondinella, Molinara. Okay, with the same blend but different techniques, we cover all the range of red wines you can imagine. <laughs> so Valpolicella Classico, light and easy, Ripasso and Superiore, good structure, deepness, but still on the fresh, crispy, Amarone, the big red, Recioto, even the sweet wine. So we are really lucky. We are really lucky. And if we respect every single wine, if we respect any single um, DOC or DOCG, we have all the tools to be, I don't want to say that, but the best region in the world in terms of wine. I mean, uh, we have the chance to make great wines, but not only in one side, not only in one uh, category, we can say. We are noticing this thing now. I mean, uh, world is going towards more elegant finesse. You know, the culture of wine is higher than than ever in, in the world. So, People is now looking for finesse and balance. Yeah. And we have it. <laughs> because it's yeah. Valpolicella. It's Valpolicella Superiore. It's something that we have. So I'm, I'm happy when I see young producer, new wineries that are focusing their energy to create a great Valpolicella. Back in the days, in the 90s, everything, bah, not 90s, probably 80s, everything was on the Amarone shoulder, you know. Let, let's show to the world that we can make good wines. Okay, let's do the Amarone. Uh, and Valpolicella was almost for, forgotten, you know, at that time. I, I come from, from my first trips in the U.S. in the 2000, when the, the, all the drinkers at that time would still remember Valpolicella from the 70s, and that was like a very watery, easy, low-level wine. So we did a lot of, you know, things from that period and now. Uh, and I think that we all, we all, we have everything in our hands to to make good things. I think that Amarone remain Amarone. So Amarone is not suffering because now people is looking for more elegant because Amarone can be elegant, but it's also a wine that is uh, needs to be like that. You know, Amarone has his benchmark. It doesn't yeah. need to change. Amarone needs to be intense, rich on the elegant side, of course, if you wanted to make it well. But I think that Amarone will not suffer. But on the other side, we have a lot of bullets in our guns, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, if we respect them and we make the right things, we are we are in the right on the right path. I I was talking with an importer yesterday, actually. Back in the days, like in, in fifteen years ago, my production of Valpolicella was eighty percent in the domestic market. Nowadays, is seventy percent export. And not because of me. It's because now, back then, 
nobody wanted that kind of easy drinking wine, light, 12.5 alcohol. Oh my God, it's so acidic, they were telling me. Now, this, exactly the same wine. Oh my God, it's beautiful. So things change. And thank God we have everything. If we respect that, we are on the right path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but you did see that there were some challenges coming to Amarone as the market got flooded with some inferior quality um, Amarones. And you uh, were one of the founding members we're of, uh, how do I pronounce this? Familia Storica? <laughs> bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> yeah, Familia, Familia Storica, Familia Storica. Yeah, it's a group we founded in uh, 2009, actually. Uh, the wineries are Allegrini, Begali, Brigaldara, Guerriero di Zardi, Masi, Musella, Speri, Tedeschi, Torre d'Orti, Tenuta Sant'Antonio, Tommasi, Venturini and Zenato. Uh, the idea was coming from the old guy. That I, I see this laughing. So my dad, together with uh, Sandro Boscaini, together with uh, Franco Allegrini and Cesari, um, they, they, they were saying, okay, we, have, we are different wineries, but we have a lot of things in common. So basically, we are traveling the world, uh, explaining what is the quality of Marone. So let's do a group. Let's stay together. Let's put all our effort together and let's show to the world that Amarone is a great wine. But want to be clear, we are not the only winery that works in that way. There are many others. But together with us is a group of 13 families that are friends, that cooperate in many other things. So we said, okay, let's do it. And I think it's a phenomenal way of working together, sharing experience, sharing knowledge, sharing also expenses together. And, uh, and we're still here after 14 years, still making events all around the world and having you know, sold out events from New York to Stockholm or whatever it is. So it's, it was fun and was a very smart way to, to cooperate. It's not that easy to make it in a wine business. No, no, it's not. Yeah, but it's wonderful to have friends to work with and, and to ensure that the quality and the standard of Amarone out there is, uh, it, it, it stays at the top level that it is. And to maintain that is, can be quite difficult as the popularity grows, then more people want to produce it and they'll find ways to cut corners or they might um, do different techniques which will um, decrease the end product of yeah. quality. So you're benchmarking each other, you're keeping each other honest, you're tasting each other's wines, you're working to market it. I think it's a wonderful, um, wonderful um, organisation to be, to be working within. But how did these families end up owning or being part ownership or directors for one of the great wine restaurants and wine bars of the world in Antica Bottega del Vino in Verona. That, that, that is fun because uh, we created the Familia Storica in 2009 and we bought that place in 2010. So we were very, very fast. And uh, from that moment, we've been closer than ever because a place like that keeps it's the owners very close. Uh, that was a jump. That was a jump. We closed our eyes and we said, okay, we need, this place needs to be ours. Basically, the restaurant was actually closed and the property was in, a, in the hands of the banks. And they were looking for people that were trying to buy this place. And, and there were people from all, basically all around the world that was trying to buy that, that crazy place. So, we look in each other's eyes during a, a meeting. I still remember there was a meeting that we said, guys, there is this thing. What can we do? And basically all of us, they say, we need to take it. We need to take it. it, it this needs to stay in Verona. It needs to stay here. They can never be part of other people because this is the heart of the wine in Verona. Uh, this is the hospitality of Verona. This is the history uh, so we said, okay, let's do it. It's not a place, honestly, where we need to make money. And was the first rule. It's not uh, a place in which we need to find something to take out at our home, but it's a place that needs to, of course, it needs to live by itself. And that's fine. So the research is the top of quality. The research of, uh, you know, wine needs to be the king there and quality wine, of course, even more. 
it was a big jump. I've been the president for three years of that place and I've learned so many things on the other side of the business because, you know, we are producer, we sell to restaurants. So I never experienced that thing. Being on the other side, I, I gained a lot of respect for that category. Guys, you are great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a hard business, that's for sure. Oh, my God. I'm sure the printing costs alone on that wine list are, are astronomical. If, if you don't know the, the wine list of Bottega del Vino, it must be two inches thick. And it's just filled with the great, uh, great wines of the world. Yeah, it, it's a tome. Get there an hour early just to look through the wine list to make your decisions because, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And if you're thinking of going there during Vin Italy, it is the absolute beating heart of that entire city as it just pulsates yeah. with people coming and going and the energy and out and the, it sprawls out into the alleyway as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of the great places that I've been lucky enough to visit, that's for sure. Um, uh, so tell me, is there one piece of advice or is there someone that you remember during your career that gave you a really good piece of advice that you've kept with you through the years? <laughs> Ah, uh, there are a couple, you know, grandfather, because, you know, working in a family is never easy and we are a lot. And the grandfather was always saying, you know, smiling, of course, saying uh, that if you have a lot to work, you don't have time to fight. <laughs> was a was a kind of, you know, suggestion to say, guys, the most important thing is the to be close to each other and not destroy something because it's... Uh, uh, because it's the most important thing we have. You know, our winery, it's what it is now because we never actually spread out as a family. We've always been very close. So we have the vineyard, we have the experience, we have everything. Uh, and that being close and being tied and with a one clear focus, one clear goal is the key for us. And this is what always had in my mind from, from my father and from, my, from the generation before. Uh, suggested that I have for the new generation is to be, you know, to, to have a very clear mind, to be consistent, to have one clear idea and go for it. So, you know, there are too many things in this world to, to follow. And if you, if you start to follow the market, start to follow the trend, you're lost. So try to have your personality. Our winery has a very strong personality and we are part of that. So to us, it's easy to follow that personality because it's it's already there. <laughs> yeah, and and what a history uh, you have and a future as well. With the, maybe your son Carlo uh, will be taking over <laughs> a role within the winery for the next generation to continue on the great work and to be able to uh, keep on telling the wonderful story of Valpolicella wines. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, again, thank you so much for coming on to chat. And I wanted to ask uh, Stevie or Laika if, uh, if there are any questions out there that uh, people wanted to ask Luca. Okay, very good, you guys. So I have a question for Luca. So can you just give us a skinny overview of your family members who are in the wine business? In your your family business, who does what? Ciao, Stevie. First of all, ciao. This is long time that I don't see you. Yeah, you must have grown by now. <laughs> Not that much. Not that much. Answering your question, we are uh, quite a lot. I mean, there is me following everything is sales. There is my sister Chiara following everything is marketing and communication and dealing with uh, everyday work. There is Paolo, your sister. That's your sister. Yes, it's okay. my sister. Yes, it's my sister. There is another sister, Laura, that follows everything is incoming, visits and stuff like that. Paolo, my cousin, is following everything is Italy in terms of business and everything is accountant, um, payment, banks, mm -hmm. uh, and all this stuff. Uh, there is uh, Alberto, that is analogist, my cousin, analogist winemaker. So he's your cousin. Yeah, okay. my cousin, my cousin. And then there is a son of my cousin, Giuseppe, that you met recently, that he's a, also an allergist winemaker. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I met Giuseppe recently, yeah. A nice guy, tall, you know. <laughs> he's an allergist winemaker too. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's the seventh generation. Then there is Gian Pietro, 
that is uh, another cousin that is agronomist, so follows everything is in in the vineyard, mm-hmm. uh, and the two sons of Paolo, so the two sons of my cousin, my cousin, so one son and one daughter actually that are you know entering the winery now, so they are following a little bit of everything. All, all of us when they started, they were doing everything, so they start from there, and then they will be specializing in something. So what's the what's the secret like recipe for getting along in the family? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> from, from, for our from our side, the good thing is was was living very tight, very close to each other mm-hmm. in every moment. So it's like me, with my brothers and my, with my sisters. Sorry, uh, you know you can fight and you can fight very hard, but in the end, everything goes well. So if you are very tight, very closed. You can express yourself. You can say everything, and in the end, you will find a kind of, of way to compromise. To the yeah. So I think you know we are we are very happy that things are doing well, and especially nowadays where vineyards are you know even Policella, everything is is splitted in terms of winning because families generation by generation has divided mm-hmm. so we own 60 hectares just because we, we've been together for many years so right this right. is our potential right. it's a huge potential okay great all right andrei ciao andrei he's our italian wine ambassador from latvia hi how hello, are you hello. what is your question ciao, to luca andrei from riga latvia ciao andrei Actually, as you know, I'm a huge fan of your wines, and uh, last uh, year release was one of the greatest wine from uh, Amarona area, Valpolicella area. I have tasted it, and uh, yeah, my question, could you tell to our listener about your next uh, release? Let's say in comparison to Amarona 2018, how will be 19, that of course, I'm sure that we'll get uh, the highest score and the best award. But anyhow, just a couple of words about wine. So, thank you, thank you, Andrew, for your words, and uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, we are about to release the 19 vintage. The 18 is almost gone, and we are ready with the 19. Uh, both the vintages were quite okay. I would say 19 is. Uh, it's something that I like a little bit better because it's uh, more on the fresh side. It's a little bit cooler kind of climate. So it's really more the acidity and freshness that for Amarone to me is fundamental. So not very far from the 18, but a little bit more on the fresh side, a little bit more on the elegant side. Of course, the power is there because it was not a cold vintage. It was just a little bit cooler than 18. So uh, I think that in 19, in general, you will find, not only from Spiri, but in general, you will find a very nice quality and very balanced wine. So I'm quite confident about that. Great. I really like your wine, and I think your Amarone Superiore 2019 is one of the best in ratio price quality. And your Valpolicella Classica. 2021 it was amazing so i expected 22 should be also great <laughs> thank you very much we are trying to do the best every year then of course we always depend from the weather <laughs> i think it's a matter of style you you will you will see our wines always with that kind of delicacy with that kind of balance never on the big big bold wine so we try to as i say we try to be clean and simple you know it's not no secrets behind <laughs> so thank you very much for to appreciate our job. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. See you in Verona. Ciao. See you. Hope very Ciao. soon. Ciao. So, Luca, just I'm looking at your website. So, is it correct to say you only have five labels? Sì, brava. Okay, yeah. so it's not Amarone Superiore, right? There is no Amarone no. Superiore. It was just confusing with the Santurbano Valpolicella Superiore. Okay, that we have. all right, I thought yeah, so. You're right. Can you give us um, an overview of kind of the number of bottles, the production side? So if the vintage is good, considering mm-hmm. that we depend only from our own vineyards, if the vintage is perfect, we are around 500,000 bottles. In total? Of course, yeah, okay. if the vintage is good. But... You know, the nice thing is that it's divided only on five products, so it's very, you know, simple. So if Yeah, you it's think very about, compact. Yeah, yeah. If you think about bottles per product, it's quite a, an important kind of production. 
And I guess, like, you know, many of the Valpolicella producers, they're, they're also producing white wines. And you, mm-hmm. you have no desire to do that, right? You're very focused. That's your business yeah. model. You know, my, my father always teach me that to make what we can do at best. You know, we are very good in that things. We own vineyards in Valpolicella. And we want to make that things. White wines, we know where to buy it. We know a lot of good producers. And if we want for ourselves, we do it like that. So mm-hmm. we do not want to make anything different. Right. Okay. Very focused on business strategy. Well, thank you both so much. Matt, you're being such a good sport, being up. It's already 2 a.m. by you now. Thank you so much <laughs> for doing that. Your devotion is much appreciated at the Italian Wine Podcast. And Luca, thanks for joining us today and hope to see you very soon. Grazie, Stevie. Okay, ciao ragazzi, alla prossima. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cheen cheen.